0: Dear listener, welcome. Before we get into my conversation with Sean Maney of First Light, I'd like to ask if you'd like to be a little more involved with the podcast by um, recording a two or three minute story and sending it to me of some time that you were impacted by a connection with another human being. Um, maybe, you know, connection through conversation is what I'm thinking of, and it could be something just real regular sitting around your house and talking, or it could be, um, interacting with a stranger, um, or, or whatever it might be, but some way that a connection with another person impacted you, um, by being either just a rich experience or by giving you help or, providing something that you needed at the time. But if you would like to do that um, I, I might play those on a, um, a future episode um, but just give it some thought and you can record uh, perhaps with your phone or with another recording device and then email me your recording um, my email address is will at willjackson.com Thank you I'm with Sean Maney, uh, the executive director of First Light. And I'm glad to be with you, Sean. Been looking forward to talking with you. And how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Well, good. Um, well, before just getting started, um, do you want to just kind of tell a little bit about yourself, like um, who you are, as uh, you know, who's Sean and so forth?
1: oh yeah sure um so yeah i'm sean maney and i'm 46 which i'm still um, in denial about but it's true i'm 46 now and i'm married to my dear wife uh, sarah we're about to have our 23rd uh, anniversary this month and i have uh, two children Matthew who is 16 and just has uh, learned to drive and my daughter Lillian who's uh, 14 who is an avid artist and equestrian um, and uh, when I'm not with them then I'm serving in ministry um, with First Light. I've been the director of First Light for over 10 years now and i um, before that, I, I was an assistant pastor and, and, and a chaplain, um, and then um, before that, that is when I was doing my studies here in St. Louis at Covenant Theological Seminary. So I, I came out from there and uh, was ordained uh, and in the Presbyterian Church of America and um, have been serving the Lord um, for about 20 years now since when I came to faith. Okay. Are you
0: the one who started First Light, or you just kind of came on board as the executive director?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm actually the third director um, in the history of First Light. Okay. So the vision for First Light um, began in the mid to late 90s um, with a group of pastors and, and a few um, Christian therapists in the area who were concerned primarily about seeing kind of the rise of um, affirmative theology in the church around homosexuality, and also watching the churches sometimes very um, uncompassionate and not vitriolic uh, responses to, um, to People who were identifying as gay, or in the church sometimes saying that they had same-sex attraction. Uh, Many of those men had had um, a close relationship with a a pastor who himself um, had a strong outreach to the LGBT community, um, but didn't share his own um, sexuality with anyone. And that was a contributing factor to his suicide. And, and then finding out that you know, he had had these, these secrets. And so they didn't want that to happen. They wanted the church to be a safe place so that excuse me, if um, somebody was um, struggling with their sexuality or just felt you know, they were different because of their orientation and were scared to share about it in, in their congregation, um, that there would be a way for them to come forward and find support while still keeping their um, autonomy, their privacy from their own congregation. So these pastors worked together. Um, They met for about four years to pray and and plan, and then kind of launched a program and it became formalized in 2003. And they formed the initial board and brought on a part-time director and began to recruit volunteers. Um, And at that time, I was um, training under one of the pastors who started First Light and was doing my counseling education with one of the counselors that was also involved with First Light and had known of a similar ministry that helped my family in a way. So I came on as one of their very first volunteers. And the very first supports that we provided were to um, men who were identifying as same-sex attracted and, and wanted support in the church. They wanted a safe place to come where they could talk openly about what their experiences were and find you know, prayer and support and community with people who both understood their values um, as well as also just some of the um, struggles uh, and experiences that, that they um, were living through. So that began um, shortly after that, um, there were some women who got involved, started, started a female group for women with same-sex attractions. And then pretty quickly, uh, in around 2004 or when the word kind of got out that there was a safe place to talk about sexual struggles, um, the ministry began to have a lot of young men, particularly seminarians, Coming to us saying, "Well, this is a safe place to talk about sexual struggles. I'm, I'm not same-sex attracted, but um, I'm having this ongoing experience with trying to get off pornography." Um, it's kind of the men who kind of started the ministry, you know, they were a bit older, and in the church at that time, they were thinking. Well, yes, sure. You know, we run into men that are addicted to porn or or having affairs, but that's really high risk. You know, guys would have to go across town. You know, might be seen walking into a bookstore, and they were thinking that's not that that's not too many men like that. Uh, but what happened by this point was the the real kind of um, cyber revolution of the 90s with pornography had reached. You know graduate school level men, um, and who were thinking, hey, I'll go to seminary, I'll, I'll get married, I'll grow this, um, and they weren't. Um, so they were still staying um, bonded to pornography, um, even through school, so they're saying, well, I'm scared to come forward, I don't want to tell my church, what does this mean for me? And so, um, rightly, I think the leader said, it's not, gonna, it's not right to just say, well, if you're seem such attractive, you need help. But if all these other people are struggling to live out what the Bible teaches regarding sexuality too, we're just going to give a, you know, you know, whatever you know, kind of a pass to that. So they began the first groups around um, men who were struggling uh, with pornography or, and sometimes some other you know sexual sins. And uh, you know, through the years, um, the, the use of per- pornography is just so huge that that has just overwhelmed. So now most of what First Light does is discipling men and women who are um, trying to stop a compulsive sexual behavior. Um, A good number of them um, may be same-sex attracted and and acting out same sex or looking at gay porn, but um, the majority of them are are heterosexual. So we work with them. Um, We have programs for the men. That's our largest program. We have a program for um, women who struggle and we also um, have a program to care for the spouses uh, for the men who are married who are wrestling with the, the, the secrets and the sexual betrayal um, of their husbands um, when that comes out. So we do that, and then we do um, some support to sometimes the people who are just dealing with the same-sex attraction or, or sometimes for their family. And then um, we're focusing a lot now on trying to have churches um, do their own care and discipleship in the area of sexuality. So I try to work with churches in the area to, so that they do their own work and stop sending as many people to us. Um, you know, one of the things that's different in here about almost 20 years later is when we started, everyone was very scared to talk about their sexual struggles in churches. Um, younger believers now in most churches, they want to talk about it there. So it's so common in society, they're saying, Hey, I know my friends look at porn and we all know who's supposed to stop, but we're, we're trapped in it. We don't know what to do. And so help us pastor. And we'd rather just be here at the church. But the pastors and the leaders aren't equipped um, to do much more than just to say, "Yeah, you should stop it." Um, so we come in and give them more skills and support, so that they can walk with their own um, congregations to more um, a life of of faithfulness.
0: You know, you were mentioning in the beginning <clears throat> someone who couldn't, a pastor who couldn't share with their congreg, ended up committing suicide. So was he connected to the organization or was it just an example of someone y'all they knew about? In-
1: yeah. And in, in, in not formally, in, in a lot of ways um, it was the impetus that inspired right. the men to start the ministry. See. Um, so it was that experience. And then the sense that the Lord really spoke to these men saying, we want the church to be a safe place and for men not to feel that they have to hide these sins or these struggles um, that led them to want to start First Light,
0: right? So I didn't know that that the beginnings of First Light was kind of uh, more ministering to people with same sex attractions. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, and you said like today, people who might be struggling with pornography or something, so it's so common they would like to deal with it in their own congregation and just express what's going on and, and stuff. But what about same sex attraction that seems like um, maybe it would be more harder to um, you know open up about that with one's own congregation um, or do you think so or do you <clears throat> or do you think that um, people are still wanting to deal with that also in their own congregation in some way
1: Oh I think it's um a lot different now than where it was, um, even 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly uh, with younger generations, where um, there's been so much in culture mm-hmm. about how important it is for them to you know to come out and to be known. Um, so these days, um, I'm not saying there aren't some churches. There certainly are where I think it could be very scary. For someone who is same sex attraction to, to be honest about that at their church mm-hmm. and that they might um, face being ostracized or treated poorly. Um, the more common is that people feel that, um, that it's okay for them to share, but often they can feel um, that they become kind of a project of the church, like almost they get too much attention um, mm-hmm. from the church if they share this that they're same sex attracted. Um, but um, most of the time now, if someone comes to us, it's, it's progressed beyond just that they're saying, hey, I have this attraction, but I'm, as a Christian, choosing not to, you know, engage in, in a sexual relationship with anybody. Um, it's people coming to us who are saying, yeah, I'm single-sex attracted, and I'm also involved with gay porn. Um, you know, I, I, I have grinder." there. I know how to use that. Has become problematic in my life. And we're working much more on helping them to stop that. And then if they are in a church where there's still a lot of um, uh, reason that to, 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 they wouldn't want to share, and there are many really faithful, good gospel-centered churches in the St. Louis area that um, are very good, about being where they can come and share their story, and you know, and be known, and and um, and and loved, and in fellowship, um, and um, you know, so 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 that those discussions are different. I mean, there's some new challenges um, in the area of of ministry and around LGBTQ concerns in the church that have more to do with identity and, and kind of identity politics, kind of concerns. But for the most part, um, that's not the focus of, of First Light.
0: Okay. So when you're talking about them being open with their church, are you talking about, like, in a group being open or with the whole congregation kind of identifying as, like, um, I've heard people refer to a celibate, homosexual. A and celibate that's gay. Mm-hmm. A celibate gay. And that's just their you know, how they identify themselves. Is that to everybody? Is that kind of what you're talking about?
1: Well, there's both. I mean, I I think, you know, um, there's plenty of, of people out there, um, that have same sex attractions. who don't feel a need for, um, that to just be known Mm -hmm. by everybody who knows them. Right. Um, and, but there's a line between, um, Respecting someone's own sense of privacy, and then them feeling that they don't have the choice to share. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of times, people like that might just say, "Hey, I'm very content with the fact that I've my pastor knows my story, mm-hmm. and um, maybe a couple of close confidants. And if I have a temptation, or, or I'm having, you know, I want prayer in this part of my life, or something." I have people I can talk to, and then really nobody else needs to know this, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's between me and the Lord, or if I'm, if they're married, which many of them are, it's between me and my wife, right? Um, um, and then there's others where, where they they find that a, a much harder road to walk. Um, you know, so people just uh, maybe they're more um, kind of gender nonconforming; um, do they just kind of come off more if it's a, if it's a. If it's male, um, they come off a little more effeminate, or female a little more masculine. And so a lot of people will begin to go, "Oh, well, wasn't that person, you know, gay or something like that?" And they just find it easier to just say, "It's something about me." And if you want to kind of know um, about that, you know, then I'll tell you. And some will say yes. The way, as a Christian, they find it best to explain that is to say, "Well." Yes, I'm gay. I mean, just like what you would think if you met any gay person or you see a gay character on TV, that's me. I I have attractions to the same sex. But I'm a Christian, and that's primary in my life. And so I choose to be celibate. And so I'm not acting on those desires out of an expression. Um, And so that um, kind of construction of being a celibate, a Christian, Um, began to be kind of popular amongst particularly younger um, evangelicals and and other conservative believers um, about 10 years ago, Um, really kind of in response to um, not trusting the church's earlier um, pastoral care models that put a lot of stress on doing um, therapy or other spiritual disciplines with the hope of changing the direction of the orientation from being same-sex attracted to opposite-sex attracted and the the language of same-sex attraction being um, used very much in that community. So you wouldn't say you were gay, you would say you're same-sex attracted and so it would have the connotation for them of not just saying, oh, that's, an ex- that's describing my attractions. It has the connotation of, well, um, I'm also really involved in this evangelical subculture that is stressing that I do orientation change and try to live as a, as a straight person. Um, they really rejected that, that model because by that point, there have been so many testimonies, um, both of its ineffectiveness and, it, and for many even its harm that they pulled off from that and so um that's still an ongoing conversation i mean i have good friends who say i really don't feel comfortable i uh, don't think it's uh, theologically right to um kind of tie the word gay to, to the word christian i don't like to use that way i don't like to be tied to to really the lgbt community so i prefer to tell people i'm same-sex attracted but but i'm not gay because they say gay is more of a of a sociological label than it is just a word about their their sexuality, and I and I know um, good friends who say, um, "Well, kind of the the language of, of of the of our society is is gay. Nobody knows what you mean if you say you're sex attracted, you know. So if I'm at college and a friend asks me about my sexuality or." why I'm not dating? And I go, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I have same-sex attraction. And they go, well, you're gay. You know, <laughs> that's what it means. And so they find that that language should be better for them. And, um, you know, there's, there's some debate um, happening between groups in the church about which language is better, how to kind of live this way. You know, some of it has to do with uh, these young people, if they identify as gay, do they also, how far do they identify with kind of the social LGBTQ um, philosophy and kind of um, community that, that's in our, in our culture and, and standing apart from that. So there's a lot of dynamic. But, um, you know, we minister to people and, and on both sides of that. But particularly if they're coming and saying, if I identify same-sex attracted or identify gay, I, I know that I'm to honor the Lord my body and turn away from what the Bible sees as as sexual sin and want support in that and want to turn from that. So uh, that's, that's most of our work. Yeah. Um,
0: So I was a little surprised by this, but I've encountered um, Christians who, um, when I referred to like a a gay Christian, it was, um, they were really uh, kind of opposed to that phrase um, because Uh, their uh, thoughts were, well, if someone became a Christian, God would change them so that their desires would no longer be, um, you know, same sex attraction. And, um, I think maybe they referred to maybe Paul's words about, um, some of you were this and that, you know, as Mm -hmm. far as like homosexual. Um, and, um, I don't know. Do you have any uh, thoughts about that? Um, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of going more by um, the testimony of people who um, have not, you know, have, have it seems that they haven't experienced that, right? Um,
1: um, yeah, I mean, I can give you some some thoughts. Um, I think that you know that passage uh, in, in 1 Corinthians six, when kind of looked at more in the Greek, is it's really speaking of those who um, or were men. Who would take to bed other soft men, mm-hmm. right? It's very clear that they're saying there were some of you that used to commit this this act, mm-hmm. and now you don't, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and these lots of these ones who are still identifying as celibate, gay Christians, they're saying that was never me, and mm-hmm. right? I never went that far, or or sure, yes, like. I've repented from that. I don't do that. I don't mm-hmm. commit those actions. Um, and for a long time in our society, um, the word gay meant um, if you weren't engaging in those acts, you were at least open to it, right? And mm-hmm. now a lot of younger people see gay as being more the equivalent, of like the word straight. It's just the direction of the, orient- the idea of the orientation. Where is it going? Mm-hmm. Now, I think the conversation um, about change um, is more complicated so uh, I, like you, um, very much uh, know people for whom they say, you know, these therapy programs and and reparative counseling and different things were very ineffective, um, if not harmful to me and I have not seen a change in that. Um, I also believe, as a Christian, that God is working change in us to be like Christ all the time. And if we know that God speaks to something about our, us, even if it's not something we chose, that's not holy and good, that, that has come up from the fall, that we should be open to God working that in our lives. And, um, that, that's, that creates a different disposition, right? Uh, to, what it means to say, how do I feel about myself if I'm if I'm a gay person? You know, as a Christian, was saying, well, I'm open to God working that in me, and and having a disposition of repentance to that and changing that, even if um, we believe that some of the tools that the church has put forward in the past were less than ineffective. Um, and then, you know, being open to that. And so then it's just a matter of kind of what are you asking the Lord to do in your life um, and being, you know, faithful to that. Um, and that's a process of sanctification. Um, it's, it's progressive through Christians' lives. It's, it's not always even linear. There's up and downs and work. There's also somewhat of a, of a level of mystery to it. Um, a, a person is walking with Christ doesn't really know how their sexuality would have been if they hadn't been walking with Christ, right? Really different. So, like even in my own walk, I mean, I'm not I'm not same sex attracted. Um, my sexuality has been deeply changed um, because of my faith, mm-hmm. the values I do, the way the Spirit works in me, my, my desires, and um, not that I'm I'm not perfect, uh, you know, and uh, still. Um, you know, had times where there's repentance in my life and you know, naming you know, exact sins but in wanting to be more like Christ and wanting to be open to that. So, so I think it becomes kind of a, a question as to what um, that disposition is. And so I certainly know um, many dear people who identify as, as a celibate gay who agree with that and act that way and then there's those that would begin to say, well, um, maybe not everything about gay is bad. Maybe it's more, more, um, there's more nuance to that. Maybe there's, and so there's, it's, it could be good in certain ways to be gay and to kind of incorporate being more of a gay pride and some of the things in our culture, um, while still saying that you know, the sexual act is wrong. And, and there's just some difference of opinion and expression there. Um, and, and for the most part, it, it um, tends to follow um, generational lines. Um, the older Christians tend to be more, um, let's not identify with this, this is bad, let's um, you know ask the Lord to, to change it in our lives. And younger people, uh, I would say particularly those that um, were going through some formative identity years around Oberfell and the last 10 years with our culture are much more Christians who are much more likely to kind of be very expressive and open about their sexuality and that they are a sexual minority and that they, um, stand with the LGBT community, but even do it, but they do it as an evangelical um, believer and, uh, and have a difference. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's some, some needed and good debate in the church about how to to work with these different views together and mm-hmm. where where the lines are. Yeah. So that it, it doesn't really click
0: with me. Um, the idea of um, um, gay some being something to celebrate if it's like if it's not something that can be acted out. Um, if it then it's. It kind of uh, registers. I mean, it kind of. I understand if it's a part of our our brokenness because of the fall, um, and um, something that maybe we always struggle with, you know, in this age, in this life. Um, But uh, but if it's not something that can be fully lived out, you know, in as a part of God's design and will and everything but then to celebrate it the only way that kind of makes sense to me is in reaction to those who um are you know shame the person and um who um oppress those who are struggling in that way then maybe it's a reaction going you know against that or something like that but just on its own um to celebrate that type of thing um I don't know, it doesn't, does it, does it make sense to you in, in some way, or is it, um, or, or not
1: to uh, you? I think when you ask if it makes sense, um, it's different than if, it, if that's my view. Right. Uh, so so I, I think very much like you, that mm-hmm. what is um, kind of the defining feature uh, of what it means to be gay is, is the sexuality. And so since it's not something that a God uh, affirms, actually says, if you follow this, it's unnatural. Scripture's very harsh, right? It it could Mm -hmm. be an abomination. It's not the only time. Scripture uses those words for sins, okay? I don't think this is the worst of worst sins. Mm -hmm. But um, Scripture takes it seriously that that wouldn't be something then to to celebrate or take pride in. Those that, I think, um, argue differently say, well, here I am a straight person and I don't really get the full embodied experience of what it means to be same-sex attracted. And um, it's limited, if not maybe even even biased, um, for me to make it so much about the sexuality. That There's a disposition, there's a um, kind of way of being in the world Mm -hmm. that makes us gay. And that's more complicated. And maybe some elements of that um, are good and okay and can be celebrated. Um, and then it becomes like kind of defining it, right? So if you go, well, what are those things? Well, maybe we have a, you know, there's a disposition to art or compassion or a style. You begin to go, well, if you don't have the sexual piece, this is it still there? Or not, you know, so then those kind of discussions of what have kind of come up. And and I get where it's their motivation. Um, I mean, their motivation is living with something that they have, that although there's certainly loud voices in our society that have said, hey, you'll celebrate this, right, and this is good, and you're just part of the diversity of the world and there are still voices, particularly in the evangelical church, that have begun to say, well, because you have this, you're a bit worse than everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, If you bring up your struggle, that's going to be a thing, right, mm-hmm. in the church, and you're going to get a lot of attention. Uh, maybe it's, it's even kind of masks as, as, as positive caring uh, attention, but it's kind of overwhelming, and there's this sense that you're a bigger problem. Than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And then that being internalized, just think, wall, so I must be a bigger problem. I must be worse because I have this. And it's not going anywhere. It's there. Well, is there a way to begin to not have so much shame? To begin to go, eh, I'm okay. God has created me this good, and I don't have to hate everything about this. So every little time, every instance in a day where I might be doing something that might be conceived as, you know so-called being gay, mm-hmm. do I have to you know, turn away from that or act differently? Especially when we're not talking about you know, sex acts. We're just talking about mannerisms. We're talking about just going through their day. and um, Often because I think sometimes um, the church has tried to put too much behavioral pressure on some of these brothers and sisters to start to go, well, if you really are serious about changing, you know, we, we should see it. Right, you know, you should walk different and talk different and all this mm-hmm. stuff, and it's not biblical at all. But that those narratives being in, in the church and being kind of out there and heard lead a lot of places. So they're not going to go. Well, no, you know, I, I want to feel good about me, and, and there's something very um, attractive about the pride narrative in our in our community because it does feel good to me. I don't want to carry that burden. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I want you guys to own some of them. It's not all me, right? There's been ways in which the church hasn't treated us well that's compounded that. And I want you guys to take ownership of that. So I think there's some really good um, reasons to have the conversation, even if I don't, in the end, come down exactly where where some of these brothers and sisters who advocate that position um, come down.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate your thoughtfulness understanding of like what another person is thinking and might be feeling and going through and that it's a nuanced type of thing not just always really clear um you know just kind of uh just a thought just um um kind of in passing but um there's um a verse in matthew i think it is um that I've kind of wondered about before just I don't know if anyone else has ever wondered if this was connected to homosexuality but it's I think it's after the passage about um, um, getting married like uh, you don't divorce your um, wife um, and um, the disciples say um, I might be getting this all mixed up but the disciples say you know well it'd be better just not to get married than you know if you can't divorce your wife and uh jesus says something along the lines like um some people are eunuchs for um they're made that way some people make themselves that way some are made that way by men Mm -hmm. and some people well are made that way um or make themselves that way or something for the sake of the kingdom Mm -hmm. of god Mm -hmm. and um so i i know you know being made physically a eunuch, you know, that's one thing, but I wonder if there could be a metaphoric type of thought here, like, um, someone who is not attracted to the opposite sex. So they're for the, uh, so that it's almost like they, they're a, a eunuch for, uh, they're not going to get involved in sexual relations and now they're going to be more free for the sake of serving the kingdom of God. I might, um, this passage is not real clear to me, but it's been, um, from memory, but has it um, been anything that you've thought about as far as being connected in any way, perhaps? To um,
1: and yes, some. Um, certainly, is a passage that some um, thinkers. Uh, Apply to those who have same-sex attraction. Okay. Um, and, and, and I know some single people um, who are same-sex attracted who kind of do read that passage and said, that's kind of how I feel like I've chosen this. I think there's some differences there. Um, I, don't, I don't think the, the context of the passage is particularly about those with same-sex attraction in that sense. Okay. Now, I think the idea of eunuchs of, of um, themselves could have probably expanded to where there's a lot of things that we would consider today um, would be considered eunuchs, uh, not, not kind of able to have sex for different reasons, not just the ones that actually had like their testicles removed, you know, to care for the harem or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but that um, it certainly is a passage that I do think speaks to that there are those that God um, does call the singleness. Uh, that that's a, a that was a radical thing of jesus to do to say hey you're not going to just be known um in the new kingdom by you know the family and being onto the land and your inheritance now if you're a, you know, you're single you're you're blessed and i think um i'm trying to remember the chapter two, but there's a chapter in isaiah that talks about the eunuch and you're know, being included right. in there mm-hmm. i see you know fulfillment in that and and of course, the 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 story of um, the eunuch in in in, in Acts, um, all kind of coming together to say, yeah, this is. I mean, we're part of the kingdom now, through, mm-hmm. through Jesus, and you can follow me, and you don't have to think about having a family to have a you know um, more of a uh, of a stake mm-hmm. um, in, in in being God's people, and in our tradition. Um, there has been times where we you know, had not given attention to um, singleness. We, a lot of people might know a theology of marriage and, you know, no, no, Ephesians five and right. different things. But to go, no, I mean, to be single is a wonderful way. Also, of talking about how um, sufficient Christ is and that He's 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 the one that establishes the kingdom and His trust in Him and honoring singleness um and lifetime singleness and telling people you know that this is a way of serving the lord that's just as good as as marriage Mm -hmm. um and freeing some people up like that Uh, particularly those um i think sometimes who were same-sex attracted who felt that there was a pressure on them to be married as a way of showing that they had succeeded or that they were a you know a better Christian or, or something like that. So, but I don't necessarily think it's, um, it's, it's a perfect fit um, for just saying, well, see, um, some people are gay and this is God's intention for them. And they, they should just kind of accept that for, for the kingdom. Um, I also know many, many same-sex attracted people who um, choose to enter into to marriage um, not gay marriage but right. a man and a woman mm-hmm. um, and you have your wonderful lives and that's a very faithful way too of, of, of living a Christian life and um, there should be this thought that well if someone finds that they have same-sex attraction that you know puberty that they're looking at a verse saying well I guess God wants me to be single for the kingdom of God because you know I'm gay um, mm-hmm. That that's a little too simplistic too
0: right so,
1: um, right.
0: So that doesn't uh, um, s- necessarily mean you're going to be single forever. Right, so, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what um, What can the church do to help, um, you know, people who are struggling in this way? I think in my church community, um, there's, uh, you know, I don't, when someone's struggling that way, it's not known, it's only known like maybe afterwards, like after maybe they've left the church um, and then, you know, they've, they've talked to the pastor about it. You know, it's not like um, there wasn't anything going on, but it, you know, there it was never an open thing. I don't know. I think in my church community, it would be a tough thing to be open about, like to um, say one was a... Um, um, celibate, gay, Christian, or something like that. Um, what can the church do to help um, to really be healthy as far as um, being helpful for those who are struggling? Um, to not ostracize them. To um, I don't know what what's the ideal Christian community look like? You know, in our okay. day. Uh,
1: Uh, Only a dream of the ideal Christian community. I haven't (laughs) experienced it. And of course, if I showed up, it probably wouldn't be ideal anymore. Um, But I can give you some thoughts on it and with the work that we do with trying to help churches. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the first thing when you say kind of, well, what about people with those struggles? Uh, I I would want to say, well, that's pretty much all of us in some way. Yeah. And it's not about kind of having a, a dynamic or... We just think about um, same-sex attraction or homosexuality Mm -hmm. um, by itself in kind of a vacuum. I think that's done a lot of damage uh, into pastoral care of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, It's much healthier, um, and I think biblical, to say um, God has created all of us as sexual beings. And the fall has impacted all of us in every area of our life, including our sexuality. And so we all carry um, in that, you know, just, just things that are wrong about our sexuality. We add to that that in um, that brokenness for many, um, you know, that's led to our own um, sin, right? Uh, our own, whether that's, um, you know, sins that we've committed. So things like pornography or lust and affairs. Um, as well as just sins of the heart, right? I mean, um, Jesus talks about lusting after a woman and these internal desires that we didn't ask to have that aren't um, godly, Um, that's there. And then in that brokenness, too, so many of us have um, fallen into the hurts and and wounding of others in the area of sexuality. Mm -hmm. So we carry what it means to be um, objectified or sexually abused um many of us carry um the wounds of being taught terrible things about sex or not taught um, sex in a good way at all so we take a stand that it's much better to just say hey all of us are sexually broken there's not like this subgroup right that um you know, the guys that really need to go to first light, you know, those people there, they're really sexual broken. And everybody else is in a clear because their sexual struggles are maybe more uh, mundane or, um, or maybe less intense in some ways. I don't know. Um, so when we get into a church, that's really the place that we want to start. Uh, we want to start with just is this a safe place to begin to talk about sex? Um, for all of us in a way that is grace-based but is helping us see why the Bible calls us to a different sexual ethic and and I think um, a lot of times the church has been failing to do that that it's assumed that people understand why as Christians uh, we believe in celibacy and singleness and chastity and marriage uh, what's that about um, but really not explaining it well We're not talking about what does this mean as as a mark of God's covenant people? Why are we honoring God with our bodies? What does this mean for our spirituality? And saying, okay, this is is what it means for all of us to grow in our discipleship. And if that's the case, then we all need to be able to share openly um, as the body of Christ and carrying each other's burdens. Uh, Where do we need prayer? Where do we need help? So I would hope that it becomes easier to say, well, yeah, my our marriage is, is healing because you know one or the other of us really had many years exposed to pornography, and now as a Christian, we're really looking at what that means. And some of us have need to go to groups where they can address that more or less. Um, and in that context, to make it where it's okay to say, yeah, and um, you know, some of us, um, have same sexual attraction. Some of us these days, you know, brings in what does that mean about gender in our struggles and with living that out, but that we do it um, corporately and that we do a lot less of trying to pull people out, um, into the kind of sub community groups that inevitably end up getting kind of ranked in a, in a hierarchy. Um, so if we can begin to do that and talk more as a church and if I can get churches to proclaim what the Bible is teaching about sex, um, you know, it's, it's still hard for me sometimes to convince a pastor that it's okay to preach from the song of songs. Uh, it's, this is good. You know, what is this about? Um, then these conversations can happen and, and then we can be, we can be connected. So that way that person with same sex attraction, if they are like, yeah, it's cool. You know, the whole church doesn't even know, but my small group knows and you know, they pray with me when that comes up and other type of things. And we're living out this together. Uh, that's more the ideal. That we're working on.
0: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's not so much like, you know, implementing some structural program, but more of like through what's coming from the pulpit, you know, um, uh, and then that uh, shaping people's attitudes and thoughts that will kind of work its way down into conversations in small groups or just among friends and things like that.
1: I think that's the best, yeah. Certainly starts with the pulpit um, I think Christian education, but also um, there's a modeling of a church of is it a church that invites that level of vulnerability that mm-hmm. where people can talk about not only what they they believe or talk about um, you know, doctrine or theology or church history, but they can bring in their own life experience, whatever that might look like and so uh, not ex- Not um, excluding sexuality, Mm -hmm. Uh, but certainly not only about sexuality. I mean, I think it's also right to talk about mental health issues and talk about financial issues and a lot of other type of things to say. The Bible does speak into this um, and wants you to be a disciple. Um, It it talks about the way that um, your affections change. It talks about the way you manage finances. It talks about... What you do with your body, and we speak about that um, in proportion to what's needed. Um, and then, the, it, I'm not against specialized programs, obviously. I mean, we mm-hmm. run them. Yeah. Um, but what I want the church to be able to do is say, "Oh, okay. Well, it makes sense that you might need a little bit more than what we can provide here mm-hmm. for a season." Um, so, just like if you wanted to go to a special course on financial management or something too to go, okay, go and get that help and learn that. But we want the church to be, well, that, that makes sense. That's a good thing you're doing that, and we're glad. How, how can we pray for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going through a real big part of that. Well, you know, we, we do meals. You know, we help people. We, we want that kind of culture mm-hmm. in the church um, alongside, of course, um, Christian education and you know, preaching the full, full uh, word of God and, and mm-hmm. uh, the whole thing.
0: Yeah, um you know, when it in our culture where there there is um homosexuality and sexual sin of various kinds, you know, living together um you know, outside of marriage and things like that, when it comes to the church reaching out to people and um wanting to draw people into the kingdom um you know, on one hand, it seems like well, Giving your allegiance to Jesus is following His commandments, so there, there is like repentance is involved. But then on the other, so you might, it, there might be even like um, an argument made for like the, the a prerequisite for um, church membership or something to be like breaking ties um, that were that are clearly you know, you know not in alignment with yeah, biblical sure. things. But then there's another argument that could be made, well, we don't um, clean up ourselves in order to come into the kingdom of God, but um, rather we come as we are, and then God works on us gradually. Mm -hmm. And from that argument, I suppose you could make a case for, well, you bring them into the church just as they are, and, and, yeah, you expect allegiance to Jesus and faith— But um, as far as, like, when God works on them and the various sins that they might be involved in, you're just kind of letting, you know, their uh, sanctification take its course and you don't know exactly when that's going to happen. Do you have any thoughts about, you know, handling that type of thing?
1: Yeah. um, I'm on the side of... We should be reaching a um, lot more people in our community beyond just the membership of the church. And we should hold up membership. But there should be a, a, a period of letting people come and hear the gospel and understand what is being asked. Uh, letting them count the cost. Of what does it mean to follow Jesus? And that's where I would put that line, I certainly would not teach, hey, you're only going to be a member of this church, you know, once you get your life together. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the case and no one's joining, right? Um, not there at all. But there should be a point where you're going, I understand that I'm putting Jesus first and the teaching of the church in these areas and that to follow him means that that's the desire I want to go. hmm so it's, it's very different than if I had somebody come and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm seeking out um, Christ and I'm trying to follow him, but I'm living with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're sexually active and we haven't believed in marriage to come and say, well, I want to be a member and I going to just, I just don't like that part of Christianity. Mm-hmm. I like the rest. Right. Right, so I want to be a member, and I'm going to do that. You know, I'm, I'm almost there, but I'm going to keep my living girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, I think a church there would say it's great that you're here, mm-hmm. right in our fellowship, but unless you're ready to put that before the Lord and, and begin to take steps and mm-hmm. work towards that, now I don't know how far you know that sanctification is going to go. I mean, there's things that are very obvious, right, of saying, okay, um, you need to not be um, living with your girlfriend. Now, the sanctification is going to go a lot beyond that, right? Mm -hmm. The the desires, the the sexual thoughts, all of those things are going to keep going. But knows a direction uh, towards towards holiness. Mm -hmm. But really to be okay with, okay, if you don't want to be a member now, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that we're talking about this. And again, kind of coming back to, I I really hope the church can preach well and be persuasive about the beauty of the Christian sexual ethic where Mm -hmm. that guy begins to go, well, Jesus' way of how to live um, is way better than what my girlfriend and I have decided, mm-hmm. um, and I want to get that up for him. Um, I had some of that in My, my pre-married life as a believer. Um, when I became a Christian, I was living with my girlfriend. You know, I, I had to repent from that and and, and uh, leave that. Um, and um, so then, you know, um, kind of walking with that line. And then it, and then it is hard, right? So particularly not so much with my. Friends that are same-sex attracted, but um, particularly with some of the men that we minister to um, about com- compulsive sexual behavior, which is you know, the, the majority uh, of those who come to First Light. Um, your churches have to be very informed and wise about what does it mean for somebody who is saying, um, I don't believe what I'm doing is right. This is not the same as me saying that, it, it, like I, like if I was to say I think it's right for there to be um, cohabitation, you know, I think that's a good thing. N- no one comes to me saying, "I oh, I, I think Christians should change their position on pornography." Like nobody says that. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. everyone comes because I get that this is sin and wrong, and I do it again, and I do it again, and I confess it, and I ask, and then I fall back into it again and again and again. That's who's coming to us. Um, so they're saying, do they agree on what the Bible teaches? Um, but they're not making progress in that. That becomes then a, a real act of discernment with the church to begin to say, okay, um, we get that there are really compulsive things happening here. That there are things that have happened to you biologically that mm-hmm. are making this very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Um and it takes time and growth. And then how do we see that growth? Um, understanding that process well, because on occasion, uh, there are those who come in and they really don't want to follow Jesus, right? Um, mm-hmm. they're, at least not necessarily their life. And they're really not wanting to, to get better. Mm-hmm. But they come in to, because they want... Um, you know, maybe their their wives have put pressure on them, or they think they ought to, or something, and they just keep doing the same behaviors and behaviors and behaviors. Normally, not out of a um, just a flat out denial what the Bible teaches, but typically kind of getting to a place of like, well, I've tried so much, I'm just giving into this, and I'm just going to live with it. Right. Um, that's a very scary place to be, and mm-hmm. that's where a church, I think, needs to step in and say that's not okay it's not okay to really make peace with sin mm-hmm. um, that's different from the guy that's really trying and keep doing things and in that place I do think you know there's a place for churches to lovingly um, enact church discipline to talk with people um, and say you know this isn't all right um, walk with them and in doing that um, it just needs to be done well in an informed way um, so I, I know many wonderful cases of church discipline that really brought a lot of freedom and growth mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some that just went really bad. Um, and typically the ones that went bad, it was elders um, thinking that just a good sense of telling a guy to stop would end it. And then so what happens is you have like a guy that's been following into porn use, you know, multiple times a month. And then he begins to try to work, and he's growing. And um, he starts to only use less, but he falls back into it. Then he goes back to that elder, and the elder says, well, have you used again you know, since we told you to stop? And he goes, yeah, you know, I, I only used once in the last three months. You know, he's like, this is good, this is progress. And the elder's going, well, we told you to stop. You didn't stop, you're obviously not repentant, or you would just stop. Um, so we're gonna push forward with church discipline. Uh, that's, that's ineffective. And you really need to understand really how the sin impacts us, not just spiritually, not what it's doing in our relationships to the Lord and others, but how it's hurting our bodies um, and that, that we are embodied believers and that these, this is a process and a growth in modeling that got grace and that process with people, even as they're moving in the right, right direction. Um, I, I love it when I can work with a guy and of the Holy Spirit intervenes and they're just, something happens like I'm never doing this again. And to the power of the Lord, they, they don't. I think that's great. Um, I can tell you it's rare. Uh, it does not happen much. Most of the time, those who have been in compulsive behaviors for lots of period of time. And, and these days, um, a lot of sexual compulsive behavior to the high school years where the brain is developing Um, and changing those behaviors just don't just go away Mm -hmm. when you just tell them you don't want to do them anymore I mean and and it's a process it's a long process Um, Mm -hmm. some of the pastors that I'm working with who are now doing their own discipleship of young men who have sexual compulsive behaviors with porn are finding out uh, just how hard it is like oh wow you know there were those guys that were like hey yeah we're going to say a couple good sermons and give them a book and they're going to stop. And and now those pastors are like, now we're celebrating when our guys hit a 30 day mark. You know, it's, it's hard work. Um, so we're, we're we're helping them kind of live into that reality. And, and of course we'd love for there to be more prevention and stopping and Mm -hmm. not have so many people falling into this. But, um, sadly now that the, the typical story of an evangelical male in our society is that, um, it's not, if it's just a matter of how much um, pornography impacted their lives and them and their and their uh, their sense of self and their sexuality
0: um, sorry for being kind of disjointed and jumping around, but it, kind of going back to um, homosexuality just briefly um, you mentioned gay friends um, so um, do you have any um, thoughts about like friendship with other gay men for example um, with straight men there's um, a closeness that can be had um, because you know there's no confusion you know there's um, a brotherliness that's assumed and um, but with uh, having a a friend who is gay um, and wanting that relationship to grow and so forth, there's not necessarily that assumption, and there's not being able to understand what it's like to be same-sex attracted, and so there's a little bit of um, hesitation, confusion, or just, you know, um, in my mind, and just thinking about having those friendships and growing them and are there certain things that are not appropriate um or or whatever but uh in your experience um and just from thinking about it um is there any differences um or things to keep in mind when you're um nurturing and growing a relationship with someone
1: who's gay um, yeah. There's a lot in that in your question, so I'm trying to make sure I kind of got the idea. But is they suggest if you're saying um, you as a heterosexual man mm-hmm. uh, or me as a heterosexual man, is, is there something different about those friendships that so we need right. to watch if we're if we're becoming um, friends with I would think uh, a gay identified male? Is right. You're that's to that's what you are talking about. Okay. Right. Um. Yeah. I, I. Not so much really. Okay. Um. I, you know. For one. Um, there are times, I don't know if everyone thinks this way, but there are some that think that you know, same-sex attracted men or men that identify as gay, that they're um, attracted to all men. You know? and, and, and that's not true, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they probably don't always have an attraction you know, to you at all. Um, hopefully, if that's there and there's trust in a friendship, um, that friend is good enough to speak about it mm-hmm. and just be honest and kind of be there. Right. So I think if, you know, if, if you're just having a friendship where there's that kind of mutual vulnerability, there's that kind of sharing, there's an openness, um, kind of like there's nothing surprising here, mm-hmm. um, I think that's okay. Uh, I'd be much more worried about becoming too self-conscious mm-hmm. in a way that just makes the friendship feel very unnatural um, and um, very, um, you know, kind of... T- in a mm-hmm. weird way. So I think right. it's be it's a good thing. And, you know, find things that you share in common. And, um, I mean, to, I really don't like all the kind of thinking about gay men as, as stereotypes. I mean, I've known gay men that love music and musicals and cooking, but I also have known men, gay men that love truck shows and, <laughs> you know, blue right. collar and, you know, just like everyone else, and so I think mm-hmm. it's mostly being open to sharing life together, seeing what your interests are, and, and being mm-hmm. connected there. And but particularly, I mean, especially in the church for all singles, um, not just our same sex attracted brothers and sisters, but all singles, the the sense of hospitality, of doing life together. Mm-hmm. Um, with friends, with married families, is, is really important, and, mm. and we've lost it um, being so kind of disconnected and the suburbs and different things. Yeah. So, um, you know, having um, you know a single friend with you for the for the holidays and different things. Yeah. And I have a really dear close friend, um, sing, single man, and you know this this past season we have our little bubble. You know, it's really a small bubble. Well, he's, he's in my bubble you know he spent some of the holidays with me and, and different mm-hmm. things um, and uh, so I just think um, it's just better just to kind of be yourself and enjoy them and invite them into your life and I mean, yeah. they're a huge blessing and I'm sure you'd be a huge blessing to them
0: yeah cool um, you know I was listening to a, a fellow on a podcast and he was talking about um, being involved in pornography and getting out of it <clears throat> And then, but then his, and though he could withstand withstand from pornography, he noticed that his thought life still wasn't right when he was just out in public and saw women here and there. And the way he put it, it's like, this doesn't feel like victory to me, you Mm -hmm. know? And since then, it was a good story. He gained victory over his thought life, but, um, lust is um, a little bit of a messy it's not a black and white thing to me it seems like because there is just the natural attraction of the sexes, right. mm-hmm. and when um, like and and I've experienced like just seeing an attractive female and um, and just kind of that little bit of excitement, inner excitement you know and it's um, of her walking past or something along those lines. And it doesn't, like a lot of sin feels like sin, but that doesn't necessarily feel like sin. It just feels a little bit like, um, like biology or something like that. Um, do you have any, um, so it seems like that can be something that, um, whereas there is some kind of biological element to it. But it can kind of creep up on a person to where they're gaining some um, habitual pleasure from just being around in a store, seeing, hey, she's good-looking over there. She's, yeah. And when it... Or looking over here or whatever. And um, when it's kind of thought through, like I think through in my head, it makes sense that... Um, as I've heard someone put it, you know, people are not to use, they're to love. And that's what people are for. And if we um, are receiving from them, they become like objects, you know, and it's not, um, we're not regarding them as a, a person foremost and so forth. But um, but yet there is that kind of chemistry type of thing going sure. on too. Um, is it do you have any thoughts about when something is like clearly um this is sin like jesus spoke about you know if you look upon a a woman to lust after her this is like adultery in the heart Mm -hmm. like is there a clear line for you when it's that as opposed to just being a man
1: Uh, that's a it's a good question it's a difficult one, and I think there's some, um, again, on some of these, there's some good discussions happening um, in, in conversations around same-sex attraction. Um, there's some that would say that God really only meant us to have even sexual attraction just to a spouse. Let you be um, only attracted to a spouse, and you're looking to have that. And then especially once you're married, even attraction is wrong. Uh, I'm not in that side. I think that there's something um, that is like you um, that says there is God's design between man and woman, Um, and we are to order our sexuality in the covenant and agreement, but the experience of attraction itself is part of how God has designed things. Now, we're only experiencing that post-fall. So I don't know how that gets different, right? But I believe that there's something that stays there, where there's a, there's a goodness in a man recognizing um, a woman as woman that is full-bodied and vice versa that's, that's okay and good. So I, I don't feel a conviction in the sense if I just walk into a room and I go, wow, there's, there's women here. And I feel different towards the women than I do with the men here, right? Mm-hmm. And if I know, um, you know that women, I find women beautiful. And for that to be, in some ways, you know, part of my sexuality. Mm-hmm. That, that, that for me, calling a woman beautiful is, is not the equivalent of, of me calling a man handsome. Um, it's a different experience, I think. so why we have different words for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and though I also am very quick to add that as fallen beings... Um, we are quick to sins of the heart, which is what I think um, really what Jesus is laying out in the Sermon on the Mount is throughout it coming back and we're saying, you guys have all been following this external law, but sin is deeper than that. And before a holy God, your just outward law-keeping is not going to be enough. So be ye perfect, right? Okay. We're not perfect, okay, so, but there's a difference, right, between um, lusting after a woman and pornography, for instance, or certainly, you know, sexual assault or something. Mm-hmm. It's still all sin, but there's a, there's a, there is a distinction. So I'm quick to say that for most of us, um, lust for, in the heterosexual experience if it's always kind of there. I think it's always a bit of it. Mm-hmm. Where it's very quick to, to move from that, to, from an appreciation that's part of God's design, into something that's objectifying, that's using. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you like to talk about with your friend's experience, if you have pumped yourself up full of pornography, um, or even just kind of the, what I would call the pornified sexual story of our time, I mean, pornography isn't just what you see on a hard you know, site like Pornhub. Um, it's a it's impacted culture in all kinds of ways, like television you know, commercials can be very pornified. You have this kind of thought, right? So if you're having that in addition to like, when I think about sex, that's what I think about. And so now I see that woman, and I'm having all kinds of thoughts or use of her. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you know that that's to be repented of and, and the sin and to grow, grow against. Um, it is for me a, a important distinction because I don't believe there is there is an equivalent um, same sex place. Like I don't believe there is a um, neutral same sex attraction that only has to get become sinful when lust comes into the picture. Um, I think anything that becomes an attraction that's against the way God designed it in it itself of it's not the way things ought to be. Um, So there's no, there's a difference. So for me, you know, like if, um, you know, both of my kids came home from the, you know, high school dance and, you know, one of them says, hey, um, like my son, Matthew, he says, you know, I saw this girl, Jill, and I thought she was pretty, and I went and I asked her to dance um, and, um, you know, we danced and then Afterwards, you know, she texted me and said, "Well, sorry, Matthew. You know, I don't want you to think anything of this. You know, it's over. You know, I'm going to college, whatever." And if my daughter had the same experience, but with a with a with a female, mm-hmm. um, those would not be as for me as a Christian equivalent experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be a sense of saying, "Well, Matthew, the fact that you found a girl pretty and you danced with her and you were respectful and honoring that, yeah, as part of your sexuality, uh, needs to be shepherded." And and I and and we can maybe talk about his inner life and his fantasies. Um, but there's not a way in which, like, if it was same-sex attracted, that that would be the same. Like, it, that would be wrong from, from the get-go, because it's not according to God's design. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, you know, a place that, that's a little hard to teach at times. Um, but, um, yeah, for the most part, I, I do think we need to distinguish what is good about sexuality um, we, we carry way too much shame in our sexuality, in the church so often we don't talk about the, the message, I think the biblical message is first that it's good and created by God that, that sex was God's idea and it's a beautiful thing we should live into it and use it as a way of glorifying God and loving one another um, that message getting taught and then seeing why sin is a distortion of that a breaking of that and hurting of that to kind of come back to that restoration Mm-hmm. But yeah, but yeah, um, just some thoughts i don 't know if that got to what you were saying or not, but yeah it does okay.
0: it 's kind of a nuanced thing, mm-hmm. just not necessarily real easy, just put in black and white words and stuff, yeah um, as far as like when raising children, um, uh, like I have a, a son who um, you know i 've asked him about pornography before, um, so he, he's uh, like he 's fifteen. And uh, he said, "Yeah, he saw pornography one time, and he referred to a billboard." So um, I can see, like, um, why he would think maybe a particular billboard was pornographic. But my other thoughts are: there's a whole world of danger he's not even aware of, you know. And um, I kind of want to—I um, don't know. And just talking with you, and just my thoughts going through my head. I think, yeah, it'd be good to talk with him more about. Things, um, but yet I don't want to expose him to things that he's not exposed to, um, like uh, unnecessarily as well. But um, there's probably not like a hard, fast um, answer, you know, for like just how do you raise children in a sexualized world. Um, I imagine it's a lot of
1: communication is probably
0: good, but you have any other thoughts about?
1: Yeah, um, I'm. You know, we work with adults, so it's a little different. And yeah. of course, it's skewed because those who come to us are those who've struggled. Yeah, but um, it's been a pretty standard statistic for a long time in the field to think that first exposure, um, if not just outright beginning of using of porn, is beginning now at age 11. Um, I, I think even younger for that if you really want to talk about exposure. So I'm on the side of talking cons- um, pretty early, and and consistently as much as possible. Now, mm-hmm. um, personally, I found it a lot easier to talk with my son at you know at uh, seven and, and nine than I did at 15. <laughs> it's a little yeah. different, but um, you, there's some really good resources out there. There's a ministry called Protect Young Minds. Um, hmm. That um, they put out age-appropriate ways to talk about porn, beginning with um, picture books, like a you know, good pictures, bad pictures. I think is is the book, um, and in the beginning, they said this is what's out there. This is why we don't believe about on it. This is these days. This is why we put special restrictions around the the internet with you. And this is what to do if you see it. And that's a real big one. Mm-hmm. Um, most people kids if they see it they think I've done something bad and therefore I must hide it but then they're hiding something that by its design um, elicited strong emotional feelings in them that can be exciting and and feel good Mm -hmm. so now you're hiding something that feels good and then if you Mm -hmm. go back and create that um, pattern of hiding something that feels good but makes you feel shameful for doing it and it keeps you hiding Mm -hmm. now you've set up all the conditions for this to be an addiction yeah. Okay. It's the it's the it's the sex with the shame and the secrets the the three S cocktail that really is what creates the addiction. Um, and so, um, just being open and saying these things right there. Say, you know, I'm really glad that's all you've seen. Uh, let's talk about what makes that pornography, uh, that billboard, and I'm not disagreeing with them, but to go, it's this way because it expresses a sexuality a certain way and it can go further. We don't need to talk, you know, we don't need to give examples of that or don't, I don't need you to go and you know, research this, but I want you to, to protect that and what, think that you're doing a good job at 15 to protect your sexuality and why you want to have it, your sexuality be less impacted by these narratives because in the end, it shuts down um, your ability to really enjoy a woman emotionally and spiritually and have a real full life Experience it really becomes just kind of truncated to just you know, bodies hitting bodies, and uh, want more for you than that. And so, those conversations are important, especially from you know, the fathers to sons as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an equivalence, um, conversations. You know, I think it's good for sons to hear, um, about objectification and, and the hurt from their mothers and their sisters, and fathers to talk about. Uh, to to daughters about you know, their bodies um, honoring. It's important to talk to daughters about the temptations of pornography. Um, it's not a just a guy thing. There's more and more young um, girls falling into porn use, and so they need that these conversations too. And to know that it's okay if they find something or, or are looking at something that you, they can come to you and, and talk to you about it. And they are not going to say this is a good thing, but you're not going to be angry at them. You're going to work with them to to address it um I think that's real important so Mm -hmm.
0: um yeah the hiding thing um seems like sin loses its power when it's brought out in the open yeah um have any thoughts about friends like I've there's been men who've come to me and kind of confided with um you know uh occasionally falling into pornography or something like that. Um, What's the best thing a a friend can do for another person who confides in them?
1: Yeah, um, good question. Um, One, I think if someone is coming to you and you can tell that they're not uh, generally open with this, that you recognize with them that, wow, thank you for taking emotional risk with me and seeing that I'm someone that you want to trust What's what seems to be a very, you know, vulnerable part of your life. Um, I, I would not lean into a lot of just simple advice, you know, would just be kind of, okay, okay, well, I'll pray for you or, hey, I read a good book about that. Here you go. Um, i would just say, hey, I really want to be there for you hmm. and really glad that you can kind of talk about this. And then it's just a sense of saying, why don't we keep just part of our conversations and you don't have to have the same struggle, but I think it's helpful if if, with friendships that there's mutuality, you know, not at the same time, not kind of a, well, I'll do one to you, right? You talk about that, but just an openness um, together between the two of them, two friends talking. Um, And then kind of begin to see, you know, is this guy talking because he's doing this a lot? Um, Is he doing this high risk? Is he putting his family at risk? Is he um, doing this on the job? And then we can to go, you know, I'm, I'm a good friend for you, but I can give you the feedback that what you're saying to me is is really scary. I'm scared for what this might lead to for your life. And um, have you considered getting more help? And want to encourage you in that and, and and know that I, you know, what you're talking about, it, this isn't just simply getting an accountability partner. Um, that idea floated in the church for so long, right? Mm-hmm. Let's get an accountability partner, get a filter, um, the, the accountability friend will get a list of all the sites you looked at and be able to call you up and go you looked at bad stuff you know don't um, you know I don't, it doesn't go real far typically uh, if they're in that kind of habitual pattern you know, th- they need more but what they're going to learn in recovery is it's not about getting something that convinces them to stop it's more about saying they can really learn to live life without it and enjoy life and to care about um, sobriety and, and wanting to be be there. And a lot of the time, that is, when we're talking about living in the light, that's a lot of it as well. So it's being able to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I fall into this. But what really helps me as a friend is I'm realizing things like um, I get really lonely. Um, Or maybe you you wouldn't know this because I come off as such a nice guy, and a nice Christian guy. But I got a lot of anger, you know. Um, And at times when I'm isolated and I'm alone, I go and I use porn because I feel like um, that's the only thing that makes me feel good. Or it's I'm so frustrated. On my mind, it's like, well, gosh, if my wife's this way to me, and that's that way, I I deserve something for me. It would be really nice if I could call you before I use and say, I'm lonely. Hmm. Um, and I don't even need this anymore to you know, tell you. And because I'm lonely, I might use porn. You know, I don't need you to go, don't use porn. Like, OK, yeah, you're lonely. And can you be there for me to help me live my life so that I'm not asking sex um, to cover that in my life? That, I, that sex can be returned to the way God designed it for my marriage not as a way to make me feel better and self-soothe and, and cope. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, don't say you're the end of that, like you can do all of that for a person, but to say, as a friend, I want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're totally pissed off and you're tired of always looking good and you know you want to get together and vent or you know if you're lonely or you're just feeling really down on yourself, I'm, I'm there for that. And um, yeah, I'll take your calls. Um, I'll, I'll talk with you regularly. I'll, I'll pray with you about how you're doing. Then you're doing really good work. And, and that's hmm. what we train and create, um, our networks of that. That's what we do at First Light. So it's, it's not guys getting together in a circle to say, okay, don't, you did it this week. Don't do it again next week. It's how do we live life together so that we're leaning on each other instead of us using um, porn. You know, so I, I mean, the way I say it is we learn to, to use the body of Christ instead of using the bodies of others.
0: Hmm. Um, well, I imagine, um, like what's helpful, you know, in any kind of sin is to, um, grow in one's relationship with God, where one's really experiencing God's love mm-hmm. and um, connection with him. Um, I guess just before we kind of wrap things up, um, how how's that been in your life? Do you have any, um, you know, as far as like growing in a love relationship with God, what's helpful, what's been helpful for you as far as that goes, um, You know what does your um, relationship or connection with God look like as far as like experiencing His love and and so forth, and what helps you? Do you have any routines or rituals or anything that's helpful, or is there anything else, or just anything along those lines?
1: Oh, and that's that's a wonderful question too. I mean, I think um, for me drawing close to Jesus it's part of ritual it's part of my you know, daily prayer mm-hmm. um, daily Bible reading you know, time to set that aside not to treat that as like um, like a kind of a self-care it's kind of good if I do it but really bedrock like, this is where everything begins and spending time with the Lord um, I would say you know we're always growing and the Lord's teaching us new ways to draw close and um, over the last few years, another thing that I have found to be really important has been um, time in extended um, re- reflection and rest. Um, about um, three years ago, I really just reached a point where I was just really exhausted with the work we're doing. Really, just felt kind of overwhelmed. Um, I'm very blessed to, to have a, a, a very caring board. Who kind of stepped in and said okay well let's give you some extended rest and you know to go um kind of on sabbatical and for me to also just be able to share with others and to be on the other side of some of those conversations right let me talk about my struggles and my temptations and um begin to see like yeah i mean i, I wasn't coping with porn but i was still coping with a lot of food and you know, unhealthy kind of behaviors, things in my life. And the more I was able to kind of be healthy and uh, to learn to kind of my own rhythms, um, the better I've been doing. And so you know, through that, you know, kind of progressing through different, um, some, some of it being kind of spiritual care, uh, some of it being, um, mental health care counseling. That was really, really helpful to me. And, um, being open to to kind of better routines with with um eating and just being physical um it's i think it's it's odd you know because i i am in a work that's like what you do with your body really matters right but then in my own kind of spiritual life i was very kind of gnostic kind of like well my prayer time and my bible reading that's spiritual but what about my body but when i actually started shepherding my own body better and that's had a real big effect on me this year in terms of just uh, my vibrancy um, living for the Lord um, Mm -hmm. and thinking about caring for my body in in a a theological way versus kind of the world's messaging um, has been really important to me Um, what do you mean in a theological
0: caring for your body in a theological way
1: well much more of a sense of like um, okay so God created our bodies Mm -hmm. you know we're not they're not just shells what's really important our spirit you know our, our body's going to be resurrected mm-hmm. and so there's a there's a sh- calling of what it, of from Genesis when it talks about caring for creation and you know, beginning with caring with my own body hmm. um, okay. and so then saying um, what I eat isn't just about trying to live my best life and certainly I'm at an age where it's it's not about like looking my best <laughs> and you know kind of the the things that i think a lot of our culture uses to sell health uh, much more to look at it and say no just like i'm saying for men why they should be different sexually that also impacts the way that we think about our health and um i'm, I'm much healthier today than i was um you know 18 months ago yeah and so um so that's good yeah
0: All right. Well, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate the time with you and it's a lot of really good information. Is there anything you would like to um, leave off with as far as how people can get a hold of you or your your organization?
1: Um, Yeah, the best thing would be if you're interested in getting a hold of me or someone at First Light is to visit um, our website and just look over our different ministries and then um, connect with the right person on our staff. For what you're looking for uh, so our website is um, first light um, S-T-L-O-U-I-S dot org so first light louis uh, dot org and go there and, and there should be all the information you need and if you want to reach out to me you can do it through the, through the website okay well thanks a lot really appreciate it yeah thank you